The Lord is good. Amen. And his mercy endures forever. We're so glad that you're with us tonight here at Sunday night service. You know, really radical people show up to church on Sunday night. Just, just somebody who's going to do something for a God that they know. Amen. We thank God. Hallelujah. We, we can say that about, we say that about everybody that comes to Raymond Bible Church. Glory to God. We're not just, we're not just ordinary folk around here. If you're new, get ready to quit being ordinary. That's right. How many of you know we don't want to have ordinary church? We don't want to have an ordinary relationship with God. No, in fact, we're going to talk about that a little bit tonight. I want to continue talking about uh, the life of God and knowing the Father. And uh, my keynote scripture has been John 17. I've been talking about this for actually here a few years now uh, in, in different uh, services that I do in different places and here. But this is something that is, uh, I think, vital. I go back to as a student at Rama, hearing Brother Hagen say to us, and I didn't understand it when he said it, it says, we have to go beyond just having a relationship with Jesus and, have a rela- and, get, and get to know and have a relationship with the Father God. Because Jesus himself said, my Father is greater than all. He's the gra- he's the, he is uh, the originator of all things, even though the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, uh, triune Godhead, and uh, co-equal, co-eternal, uh, but yet the Father is greater. And John 17, 3 says, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou or whom you have sent. Now notice, there's two, two, yes, we need to know Jesus, right? When we get to know Jesus, we know all that he has done for us. We get to know him as our, our, our joint heir in Christ, as our Savior, our baptizer in the Holy Ghost, our healer. But we also need to know the Father who devised the entire plan, and Jesus came to fulfill his will and get to know him, and that is eternal life, to know God. When we know God, faith is not a struggle. You know, I think a lot of times we've, we've uh, uh, gotten the idea, and, you know, it's because, you know, life happens to everybody. Remember the storms of life came against both houses that were built? One was built on the Word of God, the other was on the rock of the Word, and the other one was built on the sand. The storm of life, the storm came to both and beat upon the house with the same intensity. But one house stood and the other house fell. The house that was built on the rock of God's Word. Thank God. So let me say this. Number one way to get to know God is through His Word. We want to know God as Father. We have to find, it, find out who He is and what His nature is like through His Word. We're going to look at a few of those things tonight, some things about God's nature, about, uh, about Him. All right? The second way we get to know God, I want to turn over to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 3 from the Amplified Classic Version. Hebrews 1, verses 1, 2, and 3 from the Amplified Classic Version. And uh, let me see if I... Yeah, here we go. In many separate revelations, each of which set forth a portion of the truth, and in different ways, God spoke to our, uh, of old to our forefathers and are in and by the prophets. 
But in these last days, he has spoken to us in the person of a son, whom he appointed heir and lawful owner of all things, also by and through whom he created the worlds and the reaches of space and ages of time. He made, produced, built, operated, and arranged them in order. Now, that's all wonderful. I want to get to verse 3 here. He is the sole expression of the glory of God, the light being, the outrain or radiance of the divine. He is the perfect imprint and very image of God's nature, upholding and maintaining and guiding and propelling the universe by his mighty word of power. When he had by himself accomplished our cleansing of sins and riddance of guilt, he sat down at the right hand of the divine majesty on high. Notice that in the middle. He is the perfect imprint and very image of God's nature. The second way we get to know God is by watching Jesus and listening to Jesus. What did Jesus do? What did Jesus say? When Jesus encountered, Jesus came and lived on earth as just like you and I are here living on earth. He didn't come live as a member of the Godhead. He came and lived as, as man. He took upon himself flesh. And, the, and in, in, in Philippians chapter 2, it said he, he didn't think it robbery to be equal with God, but he laid aside. Uh, other translations said he set aside the glory that was rightfully his from heaven so that he could live like you and I. So how Jesus encountered situations is how we can encounter situations, all right? Because, but he said, I only do those things that please the Father. I, uh, he said, I, I only say what the Father says. He knew the Father, and we can get to know the Father also. I do, we kind of talked about ordinary. You know, the word ordinary refers to something that's common, usual, or regular, it describes things that are typical, standard, or average in nature. It signifies the absence of anything extraordinary or exceptional. Essentially, ordinary denotes a state or quality that is not remarkable or out of the ordinary. Now, the word extra denotes something additional, beyond what is expected or required. It implies some type of enhancement or augmentation or an extension of the usual or normal. Extra suggests an element that goes above and beyond the regular or basic level. And you can get all this by Googling, by the way. It can, it can also imply something that is surplus or is an excess of what is necessary. In summary, ex, extra refers to something supplementary, increased, or exceeding the usual standard or quantity. How many of you know the Bible says he'll do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think? All right. Now, the phrase extraordinary, two words, two words, therefore, now listen to this. It means something that is extra common, extra usual, or extra regular, not remarkable, and extra standard, extra typical, or extra average. But when you put those two words together, you get a new word, extraordinary. Now, I know some people mispronounce that word and they say extraordinary. That's not how it's pronounced, folks. I'm sorry to tell you. Well, you're just splitting hairs. No, I'm not splitting hairs because there's a big difference between extraordinary and extraordinary. Extraordinary describes something that is highly exceptional, remarkable, beyond the ordinary. It signifies qualities, events, or circumstances that are uncommon. Extraordinary, uh, uh, extra, uh, extraordinary. It implies a level of greatness, 
uniqueness or significance that surpasses what is typically expected or experienced. It indicates something that stands out, surpasses expectation or defies the norm. In summary, extraordinary refers to something uh, remarkable or exceptional in nature. It is an adjective that refers to something or someone that is highly unusual, highly remarkable, highly exceptional. Amen. It is not, it has, it is way beyond the ordinary, way beyond the common. And when we get to know God as Father, sometimes we have trouble seeing Him for who He truly is and really is because we limit it to what is ordinary on this earth. Now, I know, praise God, thank God for all all of us, you know, uh, all the mothers and all that, but a mother's love cannot be compared to the love of God. I know preachers have tried over the years. No, God's love is extraordinary. It's beyond what is natural. Now, thank God a mother who knows God can tap into that love, right? So we want to talk about what are those things about God that are beyond the ordinary, beyond what is common, all right? Something that has a degree or measure that is remarkable, something that is, I, I like one definition from the, from the uh, uh, dictionary said, it means something that's special or particular, something that is sent for a special purpose or a particular occasion, an extraordinary ambassador, extraordinary uh, messenger, something extraordinary. Well, we said Jesus is our example. Look at John chapter 2, verse 11. Now, I'm going to read these out of the uh, Passion Translation. King James doesn't use the word extraordinary. It uses some other words, and they're, they're fine. But I want you to see this. Uh, some of these, these scriptures out of the Passion Translation. All right. Now, I will say this. It, the Passion is not a translation, even though it calls itself the Passion Translation. It is a paraphrase. It doesn't go back to the original the old manuscripts and that. It takes basically off the King James, tries to put it in modern language, and it does help us in a lot of different areas, okay? So for, for you that think the Apostle Paul spoke King James English, uh, you can relax, all right? I'm not trying to violate the Scripture here. All right? Praise the Lord. Now, you students, if you're in Doug Jones's class, don't be bringing a Passion Translation in there. Make sure you bring a King James Bible. Okay? All right. Look here in John chapter 2, John chapter 2 and verse 11. This is the account of Jesus. This is where Jesus turned the water into wine. Look at verse 11. This miracle in Cana was the first of many extraordinary miracles Jesus performed in Galilee that revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now, it's kind of interesting there, uh, the, the writer said that because Jesus said he didn't come to reveal himself, he came to reveal the Father. The glory he's revealing is the glory of the Father. And notice it is an extraordinary miracle. Now, I do wonder if uh, some miracles are just ordinary. Amen. Now, we don't ever want to think of them that way, but you know what? Miracles should be common to us as a supernatural people. We are the body of Christ. How many of you know Jesus had miracles? Right? Everywhere he went except for one place that we know of. He could do no special miracles there in, in, uh, uh, in Mark chapter 6 because in his own hometown because they, they were offended at him. 
Look over here now in John chapter 4. Extraordinary miracles. God is an extraordinary miracle worker. Glory to God. See, Jesus is doing the will of the Father. Here in in John chapter 4, look at verse uh, 54. Here Jesus has healed this this servant, healing the official servant. It says in verse 54, healing the official son was Jesus' second extraordinary miracle in Galilee after returning from Judea. You know, something that's extraordinary to some people, it's shocking. It's shocking. You know, we had the opportunity just to get away uh, uh, for a couple days, and we were sitting in this restaurant, and evidently the guy sitting next to us got an extraordinary meal. I mean, they put it down in front of him, and he took a bite, and he said, oh, my God. He just started, oh, my, oh, oh, you know. Well, he says, you know, I want to shoot a dart at him to get him to be quiet, you know. Like, are any, do any of you have the same anointing that a man and I have? If there's somebody loud in the restaurant, I'm going to get seated right next to him. Right? We have that anointing. I don't know. I, don't, I didn't ask for that anointing. Maybe I need to work on my patience. But anyway. This man, oh, it was an extraordinary meal. He just went on and on and on and on about how wonderful it tasted. Glory to God. Acts chapter 19. Extraordinary miracles, something that's beyond what's common. But I also like that something that has a, has a purpose. You know, God just doesn't do miracles, you know, just to show off. He does miracles to help people. We're going to see some other things that God, God's ex, God is extraordinarily kind. He's extraordinarily gracious. His love is extraordinary. All right, here in Acts 19, 11, of course, you know, we, we, we talk about this every, when we lay hands on these prayer cloths. God kept releasing a flow of extraordinary miracles through the hands of Paul. Now, who did it? Did Paul do extraordinary miracles or did God do extraordinary miracles? God did it. God was the one doing it. Like Pastor Craig said this morning, God is the one that's going to work through us. Amen? It's him. You don't, have to, you don't have to heal anybody. God's the healer. You don't have to do any. Let God work through you. All right, Romans chapter 2 now. Here's another attribute of God. We're getting to know the Father now. He does extraordinary miracles. That tells me this. There's no limit. We sang about it. Is there any limit to what God can do? Well, he does limit himself by his word, but God, there's nothing that's impossible to God. Hallelujah. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been guilty of limiting God in my life over the years. Have you done that before? Sometimes, you know, you got to catch yourself. You get, your situation comes and you start thinking, well, I don't know. Well, you, you've automatically got over into limiting God when you think this can't be taken care of. He can do it. Amen. Romans 2, look here at verse 4. Listen to this. Do the riches of his extraordinary kindness make you, uh, make you take him for granted and despise him? Haven't you experienced how kind and understanding he's been to you? Don't mistake his tolerance for acceptance. Do you realize that all the wealth, now here's another word like extraordinary, of his extravagant kindness 
is meant to melt your heart and lead you to repentance. I mean, we're not talking about just ordinary being kind. We're talking about extravagant kindness, extraordinary kindness. Now, how many of you know the Bible says that we are be a partaker of God's divine nature? Unfortunately, some, some Christians aren't known for their kindness. You know, I, I, I could live the rest of my life and not have another business owner tell me they'd rather do business with anybody but Christians. Amen. You got to remember this. That, that person you're dealing with is not the devil. You don't have authority over them. You do have authority over the devil. You have to treat that person kind even if they're acting like the devil. Amen. Tell your neighbor, he's got to be talking about you because it's not me. Just tell him. He's got to be talking to you right now. No, kindness. Kind, what? <laughs> what would happen if we, the church, the body of Christ, would start walking and treating people with extraordinary kindness? Extra, what would happen? It would lead people to repentance. Book of Proverbs says it's a man's kindness that makes him attractive. Amen. All right, let's, let's, uh, let's look at another one here. Glory to God. Let's go to Second uh, Corinthians chapter 4. So his, he does extraordinary miracles. He has extraordinary kindness. And he's put within us an extraordinary overflow of power. I love this, this section of Scripture talking about the life and the Spirit and the ministry of the Spirit. He says in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 4, We are like common clay jars that carry this glorious treasure within so that this immeasurable power will be seen as God's and not ours. Extraordinary overflow of power. This passage reads different than the one I got off. The glorious measure. He calls it this. I got the passion off of the, off of the internet and the passion off here, and they read different. But immeasurable or extraordinary overflow of power, I don't care which one it is, it's still God. Amen? It's God's, not ours. Extraordinary overflow of power. The life of God is in us. Think about this. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. We are the temple of God, both individually and corporately. The mighty Holy Ghost, the greater one, lives on the inside of us. I'd say that's extraordinary power. And it's in us. Amen. You know, I think the old time, you know, Pentecostals talk about praying the power down. I think they just prayed until they began to yield to the power that was already present. Amen. Hallelujah. Now here's one. Here's this next one we'll look at. Go back to Acts chapter 7. How many of you know God's favor and grace is extraordinary? Oh, the grace of God. Thank God for the grace of God. That's not just, that doesn't just save us, but is in empowering us. That empowers us to serve God. It empowers us to live a, right, a righteous and a holy, sanctified life. It empowers us to love and to serve others. 
Amen? Acts chapter 7, look at verse number 10. God rescued him from all his oppression and granted him, talking about Moses, and granted him, or Joseph, I'm sorry, granted him extraordinary favor before Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh appointed him as the overseer of his nation, even in his own palace. How many of you know when a prisoner gets put second in command of a nation, something extraordinary has happened? Hallelujah. And I love what Joseph, you know, he told his brother, he said, look, this that you meant for evil towards me, God has turned to good. God is extraordinarily able to take that which the devil tried to take you out with and turn it to your good. Amen? Hallelujah. Now look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Second Corinthians chapter 9, in talking about God, who, who uh, the, as we give, he, it, 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 we give according to that measure, it's given back to us, that God, you know, makes all grace abound towards us, that he supplies our seed. And in talking about after we have given and, and it causes praise to come to God, look what it says in verse 14. Because of this extraordinary grace, which God has lavished on you, they will affectionately remember you in their prayers. Praise God for his astonishing gift, which is far too great for words. You know, sometimes extraordinary, extravagant, and astonishing things, you can't even put it in words sometimes. Think about that. His extraordinary grace, which he has not just, he's lavished it on you. Amen? Now, how many of you like, how many of you like biscuits and gravy? Let me see your hands. How many of you lavish the gravy on the biscuit? Now, I don't, I don't listen. I don't want, I don't want, I don't want uh, uh, you know, just, I just don't want a little gravy with my biscuit. I want a little biscuit with my gravy. Amen? That's why, you know, pumpkin pie is okay. But I like a little pumpkin pie with my Cool Whip or whatever it is you put on it. Amen. I can look at you, brother, and tell you eat a lot of that. So, no, just mind your own business. <laughs> Have some extraordinary kindness. But you know what I'm saying? He lavished. Because God's grace is extraordinary. It's not just normal. There's nothing normal about it. And he lavishes it on us. Woo, glory to God. Amen. Hallelujah. God wants to give us extraordinary levels of revelation. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. <coughs> Excuse me. <laughs> he wants us to know him. That's why Paul prayed that prayer that, that God would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened. In the knowledge of him. Well, one of the things to have knowledge of is him as a father. Remember when Jesus said, he said, if you being evil know, have, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more? How much more? He could have said, how extraordinarily will your father give good gifts unto you? If you being evil, he said. Basically saying, if, you're being, if you being carnal can do this, how much more your heavenly father? 
2 Corinthians chapter 12, here's the apostle, apostle Paul talking here. Look at verse 7. It said, the extraordinary level of the revelations I received is no reason for anyone to exalt me. For this is why the thorn in the flesh was given, adversaries' messengers sent to harass me, keeping me from becoming arrogant. Well, take your little, take your spiritual pencil and eraser now and make sure you erase there that said God gave him that thorn in the flesh. The messenger said, how many of you know, first of all, Satan is not following God's assignments. That's why he got kicked out of heaven. (laughs) You know, if we just think a little bit here, God gave him the revelations Satan doesn't want him to operate in him. I heard a person say one time, boy, if I want to, have a, want to start praying for the sick in my church, I just preach on healing because it seems like I preach on healing. Satan comes immediately to steal the word and everybody in the church gets sick. Why? He doesn't want you to have that revelation. Hallelujah. All right. Extraordinary, extraordinary revelations. Next, let's look at the extraordinary compassion of God. Titus chapter 3. Oh, thank God for the extraordinary compassion of God. See, these things aren't natural, folks. It's beyond. God does beyond what we could ever ask or think. Exceeding abundantly above all we could ask or think. Here here in uh, Titus chapter 3, verse 4. It says, when the extraordinary compassion of God our Savior and his overpowering love suddenly appeared in person, <coughs> excuse me, as the brightness of a dawning day, who is he talking about? Jesus. Jesus is the exact imprint of the extraordinary compassion of God. I love Psalm 145. Amen. Psalm 145. Let me read it from the King James Bible here. Psalm 145. I didn't give that to them up there, but they're so fast they'll probably catch up with me here. Verse 7 and 8. Psalm 145, verse 7 and 8. Or verse 8 and 9, I'm sorry. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all and his tender mercies, tender mercies are over all his works. He's full of compassion. He has extraordinary compassion. How many of you know? How many of you read throughout the, the Gospels where Jesus was moved with compassion? There in, in, in Luke chapter nine, after he'd healed the sick there and done all that, he said he went about healing the sick, preaching the gospel, the king, or, or teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing all the sick. He noticed they were like sheep; they were scattered abroad. And he said, "Pray." He, he said, "Pray the Lord of the harvest." Jesus looked at them with compassion and said, "Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers into this harvest." Then there in chapter 10, he did exactly, well, I said Luke 9, it's Matthew 9, 35, then Matthew 10, 1. Thank you, Lord, for helping me. Uh, Matthew 10, 1, then he did exactly that. He sent out laborers into the heart. Why? Because God is full of compassion. It's extraordinary compassion. Extraordinary. Then finally, and this is a great one, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. I'm telling you, God has extraordinary patience. Ooh, glory. You know, these are the type of things we, we need to realize. Sometimes, you know, this one right here is probably something we ought to run about. <laughs> God's extraordinary patience. You know, if it wasn't for the patience of God, we wouldn't be here today, would we? 
You know, it's because of his patience that Jesus hasn't come back. You know, I know people think how many think how many Christians have prayed, "Oh Jesus, just come back, just come back, Lord, send Jesus back." It's so horrible. It's so terrible. Just send, and he hasn't done it because he's patient, and he has extraordinary patience. He's waiting for that precious fruit of the earth. Look what it says here in Second Peter three. Look at verse fifteen. He said, keep in mind that our Lord's extraordinary patience simply means more opportunity for salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. God's extraordinary patience. What if God had ended all things right before you got saved? But thank God for his extraordinary Patience. Extraordinary patience. I'm gonna I'm gonna testify and just and just you know the Bible says confess your faults one to another that you may be healed. I don't have extraordinary patience naturally. You're doing a good job, man, in keeping a straight face, but she could testify. Because she, she has to ride with me driving. I don't have natural extraordinary. I don't in fact my patience is less than extraordinary. I don't know why some people have a driver's license, but they do. (laughs) Amen. And you know who you are. Give an altar call for bad drivers. Could we do that? Could we lay hands on, cast that out of them? I think that kind comes out only by fasting and prayer. <laughs> Amen. But God has extraordinary patience. Think about how long God's been dealing with you about doing that thing he told you to do. Or quit doing that thing you've been doing. He has extraordinary patience. And because he is the beginning and the end, he's worked it all into his plan for you. How many of you are glad God was patient with you? Now, every year, you know, we get, we get folks coming in for school. How many of you here are going to be a student this fall? Let me see your hands. Well, don't just hold. Some of you are like, well, I think you don't know. If I'm going to be a student, hold my hand up there, okay? How many of you were students at Raymond? Let me see those, those of you that were, several of you are. You know, every year there's people, several people, oh, you know, I just waited so long. I mean, I should have come, you know. Blah, blah, blah. You know, God knows exactly where you are. He knows, knows exactly when you, but, and, and, and he can do that and still have a plan for your life because he has extraordinary patience. <laughs> he just goes on and he treats you the same with patience endur- patient endurance. Extraordinary. Glory to God. Now, these are all things we need to know about our Father. And sometimes, you know, it's, uh, I was reading the other day from uh, uh, a past, uh, some of the writings of uh, E.W. Kenyon. Some of you might be familiar with Brother Kenyon, some of his writings. And he was, he was pretty, you know, at the same time God was dealing with Brother Hagin about some stuff, he was dealing with Brother Kenyon about some stuff. And they kind of, when they they started looking, they saw they were seeing some of the same things. So it wasn't like they were, you know. Nobody has an original thought about God. Can I just say that? 
If it's God, it's good. if it came from God, then it's his thought, not yours. So you can't, you can't copyright a thought from God. Amen. I'm glad of that because I preached a lot of people's sermons. I didn't have anything to preach when I, when I first started. Thank God I had taken a lot of good notes on other people's sermons. I just preached their stuff. And sometimes, to be honest with you, I was better than them. But most of the time I wasn't. I was associate pastor right after I left Ramah here at nine years at uh, my home church there uh, in Auburn, Illinois. So the church I came to Ramah from went back there and with nothing, no plan just to be part of the church again, just see what God was going to do. And within a month, the pastor uh, asked me to come on and be his associate pastor, uh, the, take over the praise and worship team, and then also be the youth pastor, which, oh, my Lord. I had said that I, for two years solid at Ramah, I told everybody I will never be a youth pastor. Right out of the bat, within a month, there you go. At the three-year point of that, I went to the pastor and said, I think it's time we find somebody that really has a gift for these, these youth because I'm about to kill them. And I'm going to start with your two sons. Yeah, I told him that. He laughed. Thank God we got somebody in there. Amen. But uh, I had a point here. What was my point? Oh, when we left there to go to another church after nine years... They handed me this bag that had all, all these cassettes in it. How many remember cassette times, right? Cassettes in it that, that were the masters or recordings of sermons I had preached. Okay. Oh, I'd like to have it. No. No, you wouldn't. I put those in a barrel, fire, and burn them all up. They, don't, they do not exist any longer. I'd be embarrassed. Sometimes I go back and see some of my old notes. I'm embarrassed. Knew so little, no, no, very little now, compared to what. I, but compared to then, I know a lot more. Amen. But getting to know the Father, I don't know why I just can't get away from that patience. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you're uh, having some anxiety right now in life. Maybe realize this: God is being extraordinarily patient with you, and God hasn't given up on you, and He won't give up on you. So don't you give up on yourself, amen? And don't give up on God. You see, if he's not giving up on you and you don't give up on him, you're going to get there. You're going to get there. Now, realize it may not look like you thought it was going to look like when you got there. How many of you have ever had that happen before? But you know, this is what God had, and I, you know, <clears throat> sometimes we plan stuff that isn't God. But God is being extraordinarily above normal, way beyond any person you've ever known, patient with you. Right now, he's being patient with you. So let go of that stress. Let go of that anxiety. Let go of that. Every time that thought comes, well, I'm not doing, I could be doing this. I'm not where God wants. I could be just, nope, nope, in Jesus' name. Jesus' name, Father, I just thank you for your patience. Thank you, Father. I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. Amen? Now, sometimes getting there means you've got to take a step back or go back to that last place where you knew exactly what you were doing was God and then start over from there. How many know God will be patient with you there? He'll be patient with you. We've all, we've all got, you know, there's no person other than Jesus himself that ever walked 100% right down the line of God's will. Amen? 
He's the only one. <laughs> I don't know why I thought about this, but he's the only one that passed the will of God sobriety test. He walked the line. Not Johnny and John Cash, you know. I walked the line. No, Jesus did it. He's incredibly, extraordinarily patient. That's our Father. That's our Father. That's your Father. Everybody say, That's my Father. Say, I thank you, Father, for being extraordinarily patient with me. I thank you, Father that you're extraordinarily kind to me. He's an extraordinary God, amen? Hallelujah.